Hey everybody, welcome. Here we are. It is Sunday. It is 4 o'clock p.m. on the West Coast, 7 o'clock in New York City. And wherever you are in the world, I want to welcome you. Uh, you must admit, every day brings new situations that tend to cause a little bit of a problem as we try to process what in the world is going on. Anxiety is kicking up and people are getting worried and it just seems to go from one thing to another thing to another thing. And we're going to get to some of these things over the next few minutes together. I hope that you're going to be blessed tonight. And keep this in mind also. Um, something good is coming. In fact, something great is com coming. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. I was reminded recently in an email that one of our viewers has sent me. His name's Jude. And I said, you know what? I'd like to take that and I would like to use it. And it was a, a taken from Charles Dickens uh, where... Charles Dickens said, we live in the best of times and the worst of times. And the viewer said this in the email, going back and forth about some prophecy things. He said, we live in the best of times and the worst of times, but we know how it ends, don't we? God wins. I say to that, amen, amen, and amen. We know how it ends. So no matter what's going on out there, listen, Jesus is coming again. Think of this when it comes to the prophetic signs or the prophetic events that point to Jesus coming again. It's like you're, uh, let's say you're, you're running a race and you know where the finish line is. You got to get there. That's what the Lord tells us. You're going to get there. You will get there. Trust me. I'm there. You're going to get there. But while you are on this track running, this is going to happen and this is going to happen. These little explosions, these little things that are going to be going off. These are the signs. So when they happen, you keep your eyes on the prize. You keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing he told us this would happen. And he told us this would happen. And he told us that would happen. He told us we'd run into that bump. He told us about this sign and that sign. So as we keep running, we're not too alarmed. We go, wait, wait, wait. That's right. That was going to happen. Pestilence was going to increase in the last days. Earthquakes and famines and wars and rumors of wars and on down the list. And all of the turmoil, all of the fear, all of the anxiety. People looking at the world saying there is no way out. So listen, we live in the best of times and we live in the worst of times. But we know how it ends, don't we? God wins. I want you to think of some things before we uh, go any further. Uh, we're going to come back to this. We're going to come back to this part of hope. But let's start putting it into a perspective. Because before Jesus returns, there are going to be these events that are going to continue to take place. And they are going to want to knock us off course. But don't lose heart. Keep your eyes fixed on the finish line. Keep your eyes fixed on things above, the Bible tells us. Keep your eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. With that, Let's start laying some groundwork. Think of this. This article says only 2% of American millennials adhere to a biblical world view. That was a study that was done uh, just about a week and a half ago. We're going to come back to that at the very end. We're going to connect all the dots and put it into the perspective. But I want you to think of this. If only 2% of millennials have a biblical worldview, that means this isn't a genius, 98% of millennials do not have a biblical worldview. 
So think of that. That means every decision that we make, whoever you are, whatever your worldview is, your worldview affects how the decisions that you make, why you're going to do something, the kind of jobs you're going to get, the political things that you support, uh, your religious thought life, uh, your relationship with Christ. Your biblical worldview is going to shape riots. Your biblical worldview is going to shape the way that you see uh, justice or injustice in this world. It's going to shape the way you see everything, and it's going to also shape the outcome from your life and how you get involved and contribute to the destruction or to the blessing, the building up. You're going to do one or the other, or just sit there and do nothing. But if you sit there and do nothing, just be reminded, Jesus said, either you're for me or against me. So 98% of millennials do not have a biblical worldview. That comes out. And I believe we are watching this world being shaped because of that. Uh, think of this. We are fighting in this country right now for uh, the soul of America. I, I firmly believe it. And I, and I want you to, to hear me out on this also. Uh, just the other day, we found out that President Trump and his wife Melania and uh, much of his staff, or many of his staff, uh, contracted coronavirus. And then uh, Trump was taken to Walter Reed Hospital Medical Facility. And from everything I've been able to ascertain, he's going to be okay. Uh, but you look at that and we see vitriol coming from uh, many on the left that are saying that they wish that he would die. And not everybody is wishing that, but you look at that, it shows the state that we are in. I say, listen, pray for our president, pray for our country. Uh, I, I'm looking at everything. My friends over in Israel, they're very concerned that uh, as America goes, it's going to affect Israel. Uh, you can imagine what another administration is going to be like if Trump doesn't win. It's going to be very anti-Israel. We already know that. Uh, they've made no bones about it. But you also look at it, as America goes, it's going to affect not just Israel, it is literally going to affect the rest of the world. Where's the rest of the world going to go for any type of justice? No matter what you think of America, listen, I have traveled all over the world. I know what's going on in China. I know what's going on in Venezuela. I know what's going on in places I've traveled to. And I look at America, and there's never been a country quite like America. I've seen racism in other countries. I've seen the things that are that Americans are being accused of. Uh, listen, we have sin issues, there's no doubt about it. But right now we are in a fight for the soul of America. Our war is not with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and these dark forces. And we fight it with the word and through prayer and we move forward. But we've got to know what the word says. With that, as we look at this message uh, for today, this message is titled, The End of What Was. The End of What Was. Because there's an end that is coming. Here's the glorious thing. I want you to think of this. Although we know there's a new world order that's coming, Antichrist is going to be at the top of this, we also know this. There is a better new world order that's coming after that. Jesus is going to return. He's going to cast uh, the false prophet and Antichrist into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. And Jesus is going to bring the real new world order, the, his world order, and it is going to be incredible. We are living in the best of times. We are living in the worst of times. 
But we know how it ends, doesn't it? God wins. But before we get there, that's what we're going to look at right now. We're going to look at what transpires between now and when Jesus returns and some of the signs of the things that are going on. But this is what I want to do. I love to have uh, entities or people use their own terms and their own words to describe the direction that they are going to take things. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to go there. I'm going to show you a very short video. Uh, Listen, the video... Well, actually, it's not that short of video. The video is 11 minutes long, but it's going to help you to think about what they are actually saying, the direction of this is going to, that this is going. And then uh, we look at the Bible and we say, aha, I see how they're going to do it. They tell us how they're going to do it. And you better be going along with the plan. So you ready? Let's roll this video. It's about 11 minutes long. And then I'll be back up after this. And I'm going to connect, connect with six points to where all of this is going. Ready? Let's watch the video. We are wondering what is happening to the world. Everything is changing. The very idea of human being some sort of natural concept is really going to change. Our bodies will be so high-tech, we won't be able to really distinguish between what's natural and what's artificial. Inside our own heads is the most complex arrangement of matter in the known universe. You might ask yourself, can we get to be superhumans? The original Industrial Revolution was driven by the discovery that you could use steam engines to do all kinds of interesting things. But that was followed by additional revolutions for electricity and computers and communications technology. We're now in the early stages of the fourth Industrial Revolution, which is bringing together digital, physical, and biological systems. One of the features of this fourth Industrial Revolution is that it doesn't change what we are doing but it changes us. With the ability to visualize brain activity, for example, through a simple consumer-based EEG device, it gives us access to ourselves in ways that we've never before thought possible. It unlocks the black box that is the brain and enables us to um, really, truly be able to uh, realize an identity that is aspirational. There's now a scientific foundation for the effects of mindfulness on the brain, on the genome, on biological aging. And when the human mind does know itself, then you get the potential for a new renaissance that restructures itself in terms of our relationship to life, our relationship to the planet, our relationship to work. We need a different economic model. By that, I don't mean capitalism versus communism. What I'm talking about is a shift in the system along the lines of the two big changes that happened in the 20th century, Keynesianism, with a much greater focus on health and education and the role of government working with business, and then a reaction against that in late century to neoliberalism, where the focus was on free markets, freedom of the individual, and getting governments out of the way. 
We need a shift to a new system that will allow us to meet the basic needs of every human on the planet, that will live within planetary means, that will be fairer, and that will be focused as its key goal, not on growth per se, but on maximizing human well-being. And history tells us that a value shift is triggered by creation of a new story about how we want to live. I see the circular economy as something which fits very closely with mankind's goal to be innovative and creative and to always progress. We can use asset tracking, we can use IT, we can use 3D printing to enable this different economic model to recover materials, feed them back into the economy and really to decouple growth from the resource constraints we have. The reason we live in cities is not different today than it was 10,000 years ago. Even if we have got networks connecting us, we still want to have places where we meet in person. So this means the place where we work and the place where we live are much closer to each other, a city where we don't need to have big supply chains in order to produce things, where many things can be sourced locally thanks to 3D printing and robotics. So if we are able to do something to transform cities, to make them more efficient, then the impact can be huge. Think about the prospect of getting rid of plastics. We must not only be inspired or informed by nature, but actually use natural organisms with which to design products and building parts. Only instead of varying material properties, we're varying biological functionality. Design is critical today because it's the first signal of human intention. So the question of adding quality to quantity, it isn't a matter of simply circulating things that are potentially toxic. It's circulating things that are safe and healthy for all generations. So the goal is no longer, I want to be less bad, less monotonous, less unsafe, less unjust. It's really about a diverse, safe, healthy, and just world with clean air, clean water, clean soil, clean energy. Together we are fighting to preserve our fragile climate from irreversible damage and devastation of unthinkable proportions. If we think about the original Industrial Revolution, it was an energy revolution. I like to think of it as a kind of bookending of a period in human history during which we used fossil fuels and it worked very well for us for a long time, but now we have to bring that to an end. We have energy technologies that can power our civilization, solar, wind, uh, biomass. So then the question is, well, how do we get grid integration? Maybe the wind is blowing in Denmark, the sun is shining in Germany, and now you can move that electricity through an integrated grid. You can supply energy to everyone who needs it, and you can supply energy at all times. Walking around, you do see different stuff, as um, far as like the body marriage line. They use a lot of things that help them lift up and move things to the car. You just sit there and, you know, program something, and if it has its own set mind to go ahead and do everything. And then as humans, we just come in and take the extra step to help the technology. It's not the, the cure-all for everything. There's definitely a lot of things where people perform the operation better, but certainly for the right applications, robotics are a huge improvement for the process. The prediction of 5 million jobs lost by 2020 to technology is serious, but it's not the main question. Construction, manufacturing, services, public health and education, these industries will still exist. The main question is, what will be the future of work? How will we define work? How will we share the wealth? From the viewpoint of the 
the labor or jobs. Now the, uh, we really need a new education or new training. We're working with a world in motion in FIRST Robotics, trying to encourage you know, students from third grade all the way up through uh, the end of high school. We um, had students make sailboats, and then we had them race them, and so they could see how quickly they could move. And they immediately went back and started to say, oh, I saw what happened, I'm gonna go change this or that. And that was third graders. I just given a prize to a kid of 18 years old that has discovered something really very, very unique. Came up with how to get better productivity and better yields for seeds of corn. And so he basically came with the idea that if you would perforate these seeds, you would get more food. And uh, you think about it and say, but he didn't go to university. So how does he get all that knowledge? And he told me, I mean, I've been watching YouTube since the age of 12 and I'm so interested that I've seen everything about it. I've read everything about it. The world is really open uh, to learning. The thing is, uh, how do you give the incentive to your kids to do that? It's this ability of digital technology to change outcomes, to truly empower people all over the world that can create a more equitable growth, because I think the world needs that. Fourth Industrial Revolution has the potential to make inequalities visible and to make them less acceptable in the future and hopefully to gather and garner political support to take the necessary decision to reduce the gap. Humans have always been using tools, but because of the recent advances in technology, we're beginning to have machines that can augment us in all sorts of interesting ways. I was the first person in the world to be able to voluntarily move my legs while stepping in a robot by exciting the nervous system using electrical stimulators directly onto the spine. We believe that a cure will be possible if enough of the right people have the will to fast track a cure for paralysis. We take two things from the patients. Um, first, we take a three-dimensional x-ray, and we extract the three-dimensional data out of that so we can make a perfectly shaped puzzle piece. And then we also take a sample of fat tissue from the patient so that we can extract the stem cells out of those. And we use those stem cells with this three-dimensional scaffold that we fabricate, and after three weeks, we have a piece of living bone that's uh, ready for implantation. Being able to use genome editing to understand the genetic changes that lead to cancer and technologies like uh, drug delivery, getting molecules into particular types of cells. There's a lot of excitement about being able to move much more quickly on this disease. One of the things that I think is so essential to free and open societies is freedom of thought. Um, and up until now, the conversation we've been having is around freedom of speech. Once we can access people's thoughts and access people's emotions, um, we have to create a space that enables people to think freely, to think divergent thoughts, to think creative thoughts. And in a society where people fear having those thoughts, uh, the likelihood of being able to enjoy progress is significantly diminished. We need to take responsibility at every level of society, from the individual and the personal to the institutional to the global, to adapt to these technological challenges and changes, which are redefining what it means to be human, what it means to work, what it means to be completely embedded in this world. People always ask me if I'm an optimist or a pessimist. 
The technology exists, but how do we get it and implement it at the scale we need at a price that people around the world can afford? Even though we have everyday problems, we have to solve, we have to find a way to lay the foundations for the innovations of tomorrow. Well, there you have it. So you look at that and uh, listen, I, I, I know on the chat there's a lot of people asking where they can see that video. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, you can watch this video again or you can go to my website tomorrow. We'll post it on there. It'll be right on the front page, hopeforourtimes.com and you'll be able to get that video. It'll take you over to the link. And uh, so uh, you know, you look at that and you think, okay, they're telling us the direction things are going to go. They're telling us what they're going to do. And as we can see, things are changing. The title of the message tonight is The End of What Was. And I want to get into six things that are going to change, or six signs, I guess you would say, that I'll point to getting to that place of what men are attempting to do, build this utopian world. In fact, last week, uh, last time the message was the Great Reset, this is really taking that and working that out a little bit further. So let's get going. Let's consider what Jesus said in, in all of his discourse, as he pointed to the last days, the disciples asked him with the sign of your coming and the end of the age, uh, Jesus said, uh, be careful that you are not deceived. Uh, we talked about that last time. And then, and then he went on to list other things. Well, one of the other things he said is there will be wars and rumors of wars. So let's take that as number one, wars and rumors of wars. Indeed, we see wars and rumors of wars uh, happening right now. In fact, the rumors of wars right now, are, are, they are massive. Uh, they are incredibly huge. Uh, when you had wars and rumors of wars in times past, uh, those rumors wouldn't actually discuss wiping out half the planet. Now you look at them, they're nuclear, and with some of the bioweapons that are out there and some of the other things regarding technology uh, that's out there, the threat of an EMP, electromagnetic pulse, the, the war rumors of war now are enormous. When Jesus gave the signs, he likened them to birth pains. He said, the beginning of sorrows. That is a uh, that's a phrase likened to birth pangs. But consider this, Zero Hedge, uh, writing about all of the countries and how they have gone into uh, some form of lockdown over COVID-19, uh, the coronavirus. He writes this, and then he focuses on America and then the threats of wars and rumors of wars. Uh, he writes, Tyler Durden, his pen name, almost every major city in America is experiencing violence on a nightly basis. Riots, physical assaults, vandalism, and street clashes are becoming ordinary. Some conflicts are deadly as the right begins to fight back against the attacks of the left. We're seeing armed conflict in our streets on, on an increasingly regular basis. For those living in America, the civil war, societal disruption, and chaos sowed overseas so many years appear to be germinating back home. In other words, he says, the empire appears to be collapsing as they all inevitably do. 
But when empires collapse, we often leave a vacuum behind. And I would say that is what's happening in America. We'll get to that at the end. At the very least, they present opportunities to other powers and especially other empires. In addition to America's problems at home, it appears the entire world might be sleepwalking into a third world war and yet another restructuring of the world order. Seemingly localized incidents have an international and global root and the re reverberations will be felt across the entire planet. It then listed are several different wars or rumors of wars actually. India test fires next-gen hypersonic weapon as border tensions with China surge. That's from a few weeks back. Armenia and Azerbaijan. Uh, United States and Russia. These are all rumors of wars. Uh, Greece and Turkey. By the way, that's escalating if you listen to the rhetoric coming from that. But then he points out this one, which is very alarming. China, India, Southeast Asia, Japan, and the United States. One great big rumor of war. While analysts seem divided on China's questions, some argue China is a victim of U.S. imperialism, while others see it as the root of all evil. The truth is somewhere in between. China and the U.S. are unquestionably at odds with one another. However, China is every bit as much an empire as the United States, and it's much more adept at playing the long game. However, recently, as the Trump administration in the United States begins calling out unfair trade practices, World Trade Organization favoritism and free trade policies and attempting to bring jobs back to the United States from Chinese sweatshops, China has responded more traditionally. From retaliatory and targeted tariffs to alleged cyber attacks, China is responding. However, the Chinese response has come in the form of traditional military tactics and preparing for unrestricted warfare with the United States. In other words, war with no rules. But China has also increased its aggression against Asian neighbors in the East, most notably Japan and Vietnam. Chinese friction with Japan is perhaps the most well-known and it centers around the Senaku Islands. Also, China is attempting to extend its borders in the South China Sea by creating artificial islands to stretch its maritime claims. Japan is now preparing for war with China, having changed its constitution to allow its army to operate overseas and begin planning stages for a defensive strategy of offense. And China's tension with Vietnam and the Philippines also stem from a desire to impose its empirical desires upon those sovereign governments, uh, generally within the orbit of the United States. And then, of course, you throw Taiwan into the picture as he continues. And you can read a lot more about this. So we see this happening. What's going to happen to a America, what's going to happen with China, what's going to happen with all of this, what's going to happen with everything. Listen, you saw the other video. Uh, the the uh, elite have a utopian world uh, uh, that, they, that they're planning on. And I'll tell you right now, the elite with their plan of the utopian world does not include the United States of America, and it doesn't include Christianity either. Uh, but uh, uh, Zero Hedge goes on and says, this is by no means an exhaustive list of conflicts shaping up around the world. It's merely a glimpse into some of the more significant possibilities that might launch this planet into World War III. We can no longer continue to uh, sleepwalk uh, into uh, where we are right now. And then he references it to World War I 
and um, uh, in 1919, and then you uh, going back to 1919, even sooner than that, and then you look at where we are. Here we are, a hundred years later, and he, as he references, he says the world is sleepwalking into the next world war because everybody is hung up on coronavirus, while these world powers are shaping things and getting very aggressive. But Jesus said, "Listen." In that last day, uh, there would be wars and rumors of wars, and these rumors would expand like birth pangs upon a, a woman who's about ready to give uh, birth to a baby. I believe we are watching that. I believe we're at that place. Ultimately, that's not going to be fulfilled until the tribulation period when you have the four horsemen on the, of the apocalypse. The second horseman, number two of the horsemen, is the red horse, and that describes great war. Who knows, it may be at that point that the great war breaks out. Listen, I wanna say this too, and I know this is gonna set a few of you off out there who do not believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. That's all right, we can disagree on these things, but I believe we're gonna be caught up to meet the Lord in the air before the tribulation begins. So we're not gonna go through these things, but what we can see is everything developing and going that way. So number one, there's wars and rumors of war. And these things are going to increase. Number two, it is globalism and the leader. The leader the globalists are looking for. Okay. I want you to consider this. You've heard the rhetoric. I've heard the rhetoric. Um, we know that is, uh, we have a, a, a Trump administration that's saying, make America great again. And we have the globalists that are saying, no, this is about the, the whole world. Uh, you look at climate laws, which I'm not going to get into in this message. Did somewhat last time. There's more to say on that, maybe uh, coming up in the next couple weeks, because they're very uh, uh, disturbing and alarming. Uh, but we have the globalists against the nationalists, you could say. And uh, you, you saw the video, the utopian world. Um, listen, things have got to change. There is a global government that's coming. And make no bones about it, uh, the leaders of the world have said what we need, certainly you've seen the news reports, the various news reports, what we need is a world leader, a, a, a leader to take this whole thing. So this whole global system is going to be shaped in order to hand it off to the leader who is coming. We know that because Revelation chapter 17 tells us there's going to be 10 nations, and they're going to give their power and authority to the beast. They're looking for that leader. Right now, the elite are looking for their leader. But everything has to be reshaped. Consider this. Uh, a friend of mine who's doing some research for me uh, went into a little bit of uh, uh, the George Soros scenario with the coronavirus and riots that are taking place. And he wrote out uh, what he, uh, the, some quotes and then some of the direction that he sees things going. And uh, listen, I... I think he's spot on, and this is why I'm going to share it with you, because it all goes towards uh, globalism, uh, one world government, and Antichrist who is coming. He writes, George Soros stated at an informal dinner at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland in January of 2020, that the stock market, you got to listen to this. this, this is a quote, George Soros Quote, the stock market already celebrating Trump's military success is breaking uh, out to reach new heights. But an overheated economy can't keep boiling for too long. If all this had happened closer to the elections, in other words, the economy booming, if all this had happened closer to the elections, it would have assured his reelection. This is January of 2020. His problem is that the elections are still 10 months away. January, 
to November, 10 months away. We're in the 10th month right now, October, by the way. The elections are still 10 months away. And in a revolutionary situation, that 10 months is a lifetime. Here's my translation. Because of the booming economy, Trump, who Soros can't stand, is a shoe-in in, in Soros' mind back in Davos in January 2020. And the best and probably only way to beat Trump is to destroy that economy. And fortunately for us, again, translation of Soros' words, despite our limited time frame, we can accomplish this using revolutionary tactics. Whether or not Soros is the key player, writes my friend, as some have accused, I believe he is, in these past turbulent months, I don't know for sure, but this I do know. What we have been experiencing since January has all the earmarks of an organized Alinsky type of revolution. Remember the name Saul Alinsky? You probably heard that a lot uh, uh, several years ago. It's starting to come up again because of the lockdowns, but also more so because of what is happening with the riots, which are called peaceful protests by some, but we've seen what's really going on. Saul Alinsky, get this, wrote on page 21 of the prologue of his Rules for Radicals, a revolutionary organizer must shake up the prevailing patterns of their lives, agitate, create disenchantment with the current values. That's basically what Soros said back in Davos of 2020 is, look, 10 months uh, is uh, plenty of time to have a revolutionary situation. We need to introduce it. Alinsky sounds like a play right out of Alinsky's playbook. Then on page 23 of Alinsky's Rules for Radicals, action comes from keeping the heat on. So first we had the pandemic, then the riots, then the fires, none of which have gone away, creating stress, uncertainty, and continuing to consume massive amounts of resources. Coincidence? But maybe uh, this seems to be in keeping with rule number eight of Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals. Keep the pressure on with different tactics and actions and utilize all events of the period for your purpose. Page 128. In other words, you don't have to create the disruptions. You can take advantage of situations that you didn't create and add them if you can. In other words, was COVID-19 created in a lab in Wuhan, China and released intentionally? It doesn't really matter. For the purpose and for the sake of a revolution, listen, you, you take the thing, you might have to create some things, but you can take things that have already happened and you create them into a revolutionary format in order to bring about the change you want. January of 2020, what Soros say? We've got a problem. Trump is a problem. Making great again. Him getting reelected again. He's tearing down the global system. He said that, I believe, two years ago. He's tearing down the global system that we have worked so long to, to attempt to achieve. Enter in Solinsky's rules for radicals. You use coronavirus. Listen. <clears throat> People have died from coronavirus, no doubt about it. There's enough teeth in it to be able to create fear, but the reports have been coming out and not that many people die from it. In fact, the numbers are incredibly low. So when you look at it, you look at Linsky's rules for radicals, you look at Soros saying we need a revolutionary tactics, 10 months is plenty of time to create revolutionary tactics to make sure that Trump doesn't get reelected and we get our global system. You start to look at this and you go, 
man, if you look at what's the things that they say, you, listen, use their own words. That's their own video you saw just a little bit ago. And you use their own words and you start to say, huh, listen, riots don't just happen. Uh, people aren't just going along and all of a sudden they manage to organize themselves and have all of the funding they need and have the same method of operation in every large city. Listen, these things are organized. These things are heavily funded. They don't just happen by a bunch of people are sitting around smoking pot and saying, hey, let's go have a riot. Don't work that way. These things are organized. We have revolutionary tactics. Damon Duck writes regarding globalism, considering, considering world government. French President Macron told the UN General Assembly that France wants a new era of globalization. I've quoted this before. He said, we must together lay the foundations for a fair, more balanced, more equitable, more sustainable globalization. And then back in September, Roman Catholic Archbishop, listen to this, Carlo Vignano offered a letter to the National Catholic Prayer Breakfast that said the outcome of the presidential elections in November will be decisive not only for the United States of America before the world. Now listen to this. And he, I believe he's spot on. He's 100% correct on that. Regardless of what you're feeling and is, the outcome of the current elections are going to affect the whole world. The Archbishop believes the election is a war between American citizens and the demonic forces of the deep state and against the new world order. Wow. And that's a quote. You can read that in one of Damon Duck's newsletters. The Archbishop saying, listen, that's the same thing that I would say. I look at all of these things that are going on, and you start to think, okay, let's connect the dots. All right, we have wars and rumors of wars. We have globalism in the leader that they are looking for. You saw the video. Well, this is what we have, an elite world plan. What else are we going to do? Things are going to have to go cashless. Consider this. You probably have seen this. Amazon launches new contactless biometric palm reading technology that scans your right hand to allow you to buy and sell at stores. Huh. You know what Revelation chapter 13 tells us, don't we? That no one can buy or sell unless they receive the mark of the beast or the number of his name is 666. Listen, you look at this, the technology is here. We hear about this with vaccines. You hear about, you read about these things in the Bible and Amazon saying, that's it. Take your hand, take the palm of your hand, and, uh, uh, your right hand apparently too. And that's what the Bible says on your right hand or your forehead. Customers at the stores near Amazon's campus in Washington can flash a palm for entry and to buy goods. The company chose palm recognition, according to Dilip Kumar, vice president of physical retail and technology, because it's more private than other biometric technology, and a person would be required to purposefully flash a palm at the Amazon One device to engage. And it's contactless, which we think customers will appreciate, especially in our current times. Don't have to touch anything. Just a flash of your palm. And there you have it. Amazon has introduced new palm recognition technology in a pair of Seattle stores and sees broader uses in places like stadiums and offices. Listen, we are going cashless. I think of people who have been saving their money all their life. They've said, man, I'm not going to put money in the bank. They've held on to it. Um, and then even if you put money in the bank, listen, uh, everything's going to get leveled off. I don't know if you understand that, but it's going to get leveled off. Climate lies, laws are going to require a leveling off of everything. There's got to be an equal playing field. Um, we hear of a universal 
uh, global um, income, where, where everybody at the levels like you and I are at, we're going to be making uh, uh, pretty much this, it's going to be even. It's not going to be even amounts of wealth. It's going to be even amounts of equal amounts of poverty. And the elite are going to be ruling at the top. That's what Revelation chapter 6 describes with the rider on the black horse. That's the system of the last days. And this is basically what they are telling us is going to happen. This is the direction it's all going to go. We're going to hear more talk uh, about uh, reparations. Uh, they're talking, started the talk in California about reparations. And uh, you're starting to look at everything evening out, everything equaling out. Listen, there is a reason the riots are happening. There's a reason all of the rhetoric is going on out there. There's a, there, there's a reason for the narrative. It is all going this direction. And we know it's going this direction. They've got to get it this direction if they're going to have this globalism, uh, utopian world that they want. But consider this. Damon Duck, he was commenting on a program that two of my friends did. Uh, Don Stewart, who many of you know, and also Dennis Swick, who owns a TV station. In fact, I get to be on that program now. It's on hischannel.com. If you go there, it's on Thursdays. You can check it out. I was there with Don the last two weeks. I'll be there again, not this week, but next week. But you can check it out. But uh, Dennis Swick was there on one of the Thursdays that I was not there. And Dennis Swick is the owner and founder of uh, His Channel TV. In fact, I asked Dennis about these comments from, um, from Damon Duck. I read to him what Damon Duck had said, and I asked him about it. We got into some technology things that were certainly off the charts. I said, Dennis, you need to do a program with me or Don. Uh, again, he said, okay, maybe sometime in the future. But Damon Duck, he really captured uh, the, the, uh, what was going on. It was on a September 17th program, hischannel.com. You can check it out. World News Briefing is the name of the program. He writes this, <clears throat> about 30 minutes into the program, Stewart and Swick started talking about the fact that Elon Musk has been authorized to put up to 12,000 satellites into orbit. He wants to increase it to 40,000 to make high-speed internet and TV service available everywhere on Earth. Wow. Many Bible prophecy teachers know that this will literally make it possible for the gospel to go all over the world, for Antichrist and false prophet to track all buying and selling, and for everyone on earth to see Antichrist kill the two witnesses, to see the bodies of the witnesses that are laying in the street of Jerusalem, to raise up, and at that point, Revelation chapter 11, everybody is freaking out. They're going to be able to see it. Just think of that 40 thousand satellites. This is amazing. Uh, Don uh, Stewart asked, he, uh, he wanted to know when this system, which is called Starlink, will be complete. And Don asked him, he said, in five years will it be complete? Swick, who receives technical notes from Musk, replied, less than that. Some people will go online this year. That is amazing. And the system will be operational in a few years, about three years. Wow. A second thing that caught my attention in the Stuart Swick interview concerns social distancing. Bill Gates wants to force everyone on earth to be numbered tattooed with a quantum dot tattoo and vaccinated for the coronavirus. He wants to deny those that refuse the right to hold a job, buy or sell. If you're not vaccinated, you can't get a job, you can't buy or sell. That's, that's the talk. Isn't that amazing? The Bible tells us in the last days, this is the direction it's going. They are telling us what they're going to do. Swick talked about why officials want seven feet of social distancing. And then 
uh, Damon Duck said he probably misspoke because it's six feet. And, and then he said scanners may misread people's numbers if the people and their numbers are too close together, but the people are at least, uh, if the people are at least seven feet, then he writes he means six feet. Uh, if the people are at least seven feet apart, the scanners will accurately read the numbers. And then he said this, I don't know if, it's, if this is right, but SWIC has excellent knowledge of technology, and the media right now is reporting that six feet of social distancing may not be enough. I asked Dennis Swick about that just the other day. And I said, Damon, uh, Ducks said you're seven feet. He goes, that's absolutely right. That's why you're hearing them say six feet of social distancing might not be enough. The technology currently required requires more than six feet of distancing. Folks, we look at this. We live in fascinating days. Again, as I've mentioned, I like them to tell you what they're planning on doing. And then you look at the Bible and you go, this is absolutely incredible. The Bible told us things were going to go this way. Let's go on to number four. I said I have six things. Number four, it is peace and safety. I hope you're able to keep up with all this. I know there's a lot here, but um, listen, uh, let's, let's keep going. Because <laughs> Listen, we live in exciting days. You, you got to admit that. We are definitely in exciting days. Look at this. We heard all the talk about... Um, uh, about the, the uh, Abrahamic Accords and the peace and safety, uh, the UAE being involved, um, we have Bahrain being involved, other Arab nations are saying they're going to be involved. There's this, check it out, Syria, look at this, Syria trying to engage in peace talks with Israel. I would love to read more of this to you. I don't have time to go into reading that to you because I want to get on some other things uh, that I think we need to know about. Uh, but basically uh, what the article speculates is that perhaps because Syria is so war torn, they want some kind of relief from all that's happening. Israel keeps bombing certain uh, strongholds of Iran in Syria. And like, wait, wait a minute. We want to have peace with Israel. We're tired of all that's going on. Now, I don't know what all the deal is behind that, but I find it interesting that so many nations are saying, we want to enter into some kind of a covenant with Israel. By the way, let me stop here because I, uh, uh, I did a program with James Cadiz the other day, and we said that this covenant, uh, this uh, uh, Abrahamic Accord, Accord is not dividing the land of Israel. And people have said, oh, it is dividing the land of Israel. Even Jared Kushner himself said that's a two-state solution. Listen, we're going to deal with that this week. James and I are on uh, what's really going on with the covenant uh, to the best of our ability to help everybody understand it. But I'll just suffice this with this for right now. Listen, this is not the covenant of the Antichrist. How do I know? Because the Antichrist is going to come and confirm a covenant. But before you say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Listen, this could develop into that covenant because I do find it interesting for a couple of different things. One of them is in the book of Daniel chapter 9, it is a covenant with many that is confirmed, that's made strong. You look at the many. Have you ever imagined anything like this? All of the talk of the many nations that want to enter into this agreement with Israel right now. It is truly remarkable just to sit there and watch that uh, and you see that entering into a covenant with many. And that's also called the Abraham Accord, which concerns me. But I do know this. Antichrist confirms the covenant. So this could develop into that. I don't know. It very well could. In my mind, it has all of the earmarks in that. And if, the, if it is, it will eventually morph into that covenant that will divide the land. And it will be a covenant with many that is confirmed. But Antichrist confirms it. So there's a covenant that's being placed. 
a covenant with many, Antichrist is going to come along and confirm it is going to happen. If you, you can't confirm something unless it's already in place. You can't confirm a hotel reservation unless you already have a hotel reservation, right? So you look at that. Nevertheless, I want to talk more about this in the coming weeks uh, with James, and I'll do some more here on Sunday nights too. But we live in fascinating days. But, but th uh, think of this. Uh, I want to go back to Damon Duck. I really enjoy uh, reading some of the things that he writes, and this is regarding peace and safety still. Then just two more after this. He says, uh, several people have asked for my opinion on Israel's recent peace treaties with the UAE and Bahrain. Uh, so this is my effort to put it into writing. And then uh, he said, uh, September 15 of 2020 signing ceremony, Israel's Prime Minister Netanyahu said this peace will eventually expand to include other Arab states, which we're hearing about more and more and more other Arab states, and ultimately it can end the Arab-Israeli conflict once and for all. These treaties have been called historic, a profound geopolitical shift, stunning, a fundamental reordering of the Middle East, etc. I, I look at this and I, I, I really do find it remarkable. He has a lot more to say about it. Again, this is Damon Duck. You can go and catch his information. He also has good newsletters. Many nations have noticed Israel's wealth, silver, gold, cattle, and goods. The Arabs want to increase their wealth by negotiating and trading with Israel. So why enter into these peace agreements? Listen, I have a friend. He told me flat out um, this is the intention of I, I, listen, I'm not going to go into too many details, but this is the intention of some of the uh, very wealthy people over there that are in that region that are making these agreements with Israel. Uh, one of them said, here's the deal, I can go into Gaza and I can make a ton of money with these negotiations, building beautiful hotels. Could you imagine pulling up to Gaza in a cruise ship and doing a tour of Gaza and then going from there into Jerusalem? It'd be unheard of before. But this is the thought process that's in many people's minds over there. You have these nations that can do business with Israel it's going to help them out tremendously. Uh, it's a real blessing um, by negotiating this. However, with um, Russia, Iran, and Turkey, um, they want to increase their wealth, as Damon Duck says, by plundering Israel. Netanyahu said the peace deals will bring billions of dollars into Israel's economy, making the plunder even more enticing. The peace treaties called the Abrahamic Accords because uh, Arabs and Jews are both descendants of Abraham. Uh, suggests that Israel is now safer than it has been before. Um, you look at this, and, and, and I think this is just fascinating. The peace treaties have caused the uh, Palestinian Authority to feel abandoned and increased the pressure on Israel's terrorist enemies. David Friedman said the peace treaties between Israel, Bahrain, and the UAE mark the beginning of the end of the Arab-Israeli conflict. On September 26, Jared Kushner, Trump's advisor and son-in-law, said he's very confident that the peace treaties will make an ultimate resolution with the Palestinians more likely. And then Damon Duck writes, according to the Bible, a worthless treaty with many will be confirmed by Antichrist after the rapture. And then he says this. This is so fascinating to me. According to President Trump, the peace treaties allow Muslims to visit the holy sites in Israel. I've actually talked about that already. Uh, the Temple Mount and more, including the Al-Aqsa Mosque on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Israel and the U.S. believe this opens the door 
get this, for the temple to be built one day. You look at that and you go, I, listen, I, I know it's coming. If you know your Bible, you know there's going to be a temple there. In a time when the people are crying out peace and safety. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 tells us when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction. You see that term, peace and safety, peace and safety, peace and security uh, in, in various places in the Bible re, in a reference to the last days just before judgment comes. Listen, people are crying out peace and safety. People are crying out peace and security. Listen, I look at all of these things that are going on and folks, we are living in absolutely remarkable days. Uh, there are so many different things you can talk about in the Bible that told us what to look for. They are all converging right now. Listen, my time is converging on me. So let's move on to number five out of six. You ready? Number five out of six. It is Ezekiel chapter 38 and chapter 39. I'm going to move through this rather quickly, but I'm going to read it to you to help you understand. If you, if you don't understand this passage, this is what the Bible says. Ezekiel chapter 38. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, set your face against Gog and the land of Magog. Ezekiel is calling himself son of man in, in this. Set your face against Gog and the land of Magog. Gog is the leader of this land of Magog. The prince of Rosh, uh, Russia, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, the leader. I will turn you around and put hooks into your jaws and lead you out with all of your army, horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. The God's telling us, listen, Russia is going to come in the last days. Uh, they're going to see in a second, come against Israel. They're going to come with Persia. That's Iran. And these other areas also, Ethiopia and Libya, Gomer with all of its troops. The house of Togarma, this would be uh, uh, Turkey, from the far north and all of its troops, many people are with you. Prepare yourselves and be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered about you, and be a guard for them. He's telling, this is what he's saying, in the last days, Russia is going to be a guard for Persia and Turkey and these other territories that are coming from the south to attack Israel. Russia is going to be a guard. That's what Russia is right now, a guard for Iran. They're a guard for these different territories. Is there, you look at the staging going on up in Syria and what's going on in the south with these other territories. God said it would be this way in the last days. They're a guard with them. After many days, you'll be visited in the latter years. So this is a battle that's going to take place in the last days. In the latter years, you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They were brought back out of the nations. Now all of them dwell safely. Wow. All of them dwell safely. I look at this and I say, uh, folks, this is truly uh, remarkable. It's talking about a time of the end. Russia's involved. Iran's involved. Turkey's involved. These other nations to the south are involved. Uh, Russia is a guard for them. It's a time when Israel now has the mountains of Israel. It's a time when the people of Israel have been gathered from the four corners of the earth. They are living back in the land and they are dwelling there safely. And then he says, you're going to ascend on them like a storm. You're going to cover them like a cloud upon Israel. You're going to come upon them. You're going to sneak 
uh, you're going to come against them and attack them at a time when they're dwelling in peace and safety. It's going to be an evil plan. You're going to come out of Russia and you're going to do this. And then as you read further, I'm not going to get into it due to uh, uh, time's sake, but as you get into it further, you find out what this battle is for. Israel has financial resources that these other territories want. Russia wants, uh, Iran wants, and, and, they, and, and Iran can't stand Israel anyways. They want to eliminate them. What a perfect excuse. Let's kill all the Jews, let's eliminate Israel from the face of the planet, and let's steal all their stuff. Well, guess what? I said Ezekiel 38 and 39 in this point because I, uh, it's not just about Ezekiel 38. By the way, Saudi Arabia does not enter into this war with Russia. Saudi Arabia seems to be at peace with Israel. So I look at this covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, and you start looking at these Arab territories that do not enter into the Ezekiel chapter 38 war. In fact, they are going to be uh, experiencing great wealth. They're going to experience riches by because they've entered in, they're entering into these agreements with this agreement with Israel. You look at that and you see the wealth of Israel only increasing along with gas and oil. We've talked about that in the past. Uh, Russia's not going to be a part of that. Iran's not going to be a part of that. Turkey's not going to be a part of that. They're going to come against Israel to steal the stuff that they got to plunder them. And then Ezekiel chapter 39, guess what the Bible tells us? We know what happens. There's no one there to defend Israel at that time. Right now, America will defend Israel, but the time is coming when America will not defend Israel. And what's going to happen? The Bible tells us, Ezekiel chapter 39, in comes God, and God destroys the armies, just completely annihilates them, and Israel gives God the glory. Wow. Considering Syria, Russia's economy is hurting, writes Duck. Putin is moving more equipment and weapons to Syria, and Russia is becoming more and more aggressive. Wow! Listen, let's get to the last point. We only have a couple of minutes left. Let's go there. Number six, Christ followers, America, and Israel. Uh, the way I see it, uh, here's a couple of problems. Uh, Christians are a problem. A Bible-believing Christian is a problem, especially if you look at last day's prophecy. You're a problem for two things. You're a problem for the globalist system, and you're also a problem for those who want to eliminate Israel, because you know two things. You know that God has a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the people of Israel are God's chosen people, and that God gave Israel that land, and a lot more land than they currently possess. You know that, and I know that, and this is why, listen, I want to be on God's side. I don't want to be on the side of the globalists that are trying to eliminate Israel. I want to be on God's side in this, because I know what the Bible says. Also, see, so you're not only a problem for those who want to eliminate Israel, you're also a problem for the globalist agenda because you know what the globalist agenda means. It means that uh, the new world order of Antichrist is coming. Uh, consider this, right? This is the last thing. Christ followers, America, and Israel. Terry James writes, he has a new book that's coming out, Lawless, The End Times War Against the Spirit of Antichrist. By the way, I was able to, with other authors, contribute to that book. But in his book, Lawless, The End Times War Against the Spirit of Antichrist, he begins with this introduction. Planet Earth needs a savior. I'll tell you where he's going. 
but they don't want the they don't want the Savior Jesus Christ. They have another Savior they want uh, a globalist uh, agenda that's going to include climate laws. He goes, writes, Planet Earth needs a Savior. This declaration is at the center of the demand by true believers of Mother Earth that all people of this endangered sphere must acknowledge those deniers, non-believers, uh, that'd be someone like me, are branded as heretics. Those in denial of this unimpeachable assertion deserve to be at the very best incarcerated for their denial. Right on schedule, the Pope, a global religious leader, has emerged to the forefront of prophetic stage setting. He has been instrumental in igniting the fever uh, for the global warming, now climate change fanaticism we see developing. Many, even among top Catholic clergy, have expressed they believe this man could be the final pope, and a number of them believe him to be possibly the false prophet, the second beast. That's some of the Catholic leaders are even saying that. Terry James says, I don't go that far, but certainly this man who came to papal power in such strange fashion exhibits characteristics of one who denies the truth and leads the flock astray. Pope Francis has, for example, stated that even atheists will one day be in heaven. I have that quote in my book from 2016, America in the New World Order, if you want to look that up there too. He has said such things as all religions should pray to their gods, little g, for relief from COVID-19. He has said there are other ways to heaven than through Jesus Christ. He has called for global world governmental authority over all people. I have all these declarations documented in my files. He writes, these are not false accusations. Listen again, I tell you, just look at what they are saying, the direction they want to go and the way everything's going, and you can figure out what their game plan is, and it, re it fits remarkably well with what the Bible says is going to happen in the last days. He continues, we're almost done here. This Pope has made no secret of his disdain for the current president and his administration. Trump's anti-globalist, make America great again determination has driven the one-worlders into a frenzy. Pope Francis is proving to be their champion, as demonstrated by the following news excerpt. Pope Francis asked Christians to care about creation, saying the abuse of ecosystems is a grave sin while lamenting the negative impacts of global warming and targeting President Trump, quoting, everyone abusing the ecosystem should be held accountable. It's still quoting a distorted interpretation of biblical text, get this, on creation has contributed the to the exploitation of the earth to the point of suffocating it. Exploiting creation, it, this is the sin, the Pope said. So he says it's a misunderstanding of what the Bible says. No, the Bible says, teaches about the generation in Romans chapter 1 that would worship the creation rather than the creator. And the Pope is saying, listen, that's what we got to do. We got to exalt the creation, not exalt the creator. Sounds to me like he's a problem. Problem. I write in my introduction to the book Lawless, Mother Earth Worship is a central unifying concept. The father of lies Satan has perpetrated that fits most propitiously within the spirit of Antichrist model. Branding against deniers of climate change as being the worst sinners within the religion of humanism is designed to make Christianity to, be, to appear to be a false 
worship system. This is because the Bible declares that Jesus Christ, who is the very word of God, is who has this earthly orb in his grip. It is not man who controls the planet. Last quote here, make no mistake, denial of God's truth regarding creation and Jesus Christ is at the black heart of the lawlessness and an evil comportment we are experiencing. And then you go on and you look at it. It is the end of America as you know it and the end of Christianity as you know it. Listen, we're a problem. I believe we're getting raptured. I hope that's what happens to America. And, and, and as far as Christianity goes, I hope that that's, that is how all this goes. But uh, Christianity as we know it, uh, it, it can't continue like this and Israel find its protection and um, the, the pushback against the global system. Listen, there's so much that is going on. I'd love to read some more of these things to you, but I can't. I'm way over time. Uh, but I want you to consider this as we get ready to sign out. I opened up with this quote. I'm going to close with it. Thank you again, Jude. Uh, one of the viewers out there who sent me this, we live in the best of times and the worst of times, but we know how it ends, don't we? God wins. Listen, we are going there, but there's a lot of things that are going to unfold. Don't lose heart. Jesus said, keep your eyes on the finish line, on the prize. We're going there. We're going to have, this is going to happen, and this little explosion over here, this grenade there, and this sign is going to pop up here, and this is going to look like it's falling apart, and you can be afraid. Listen, you keep your eyes on the prize, Jesus is coming. We know how it ends. God wins. Listen, until next time, God bless. Oh, by the way, don't forget, November 8th, we have a prophecy conference that is coming in, uh, at the 412 Church in San Jacinto, California. You can find that on my website, hopeforourtimes.com. On October 17th, Saturday, I'm going to be speaking at a, at a conference, not a prophecy conference, but at a conference at Calvary Chapel Huntington Harbor in the Huntington Beach area of Southern California. Uh, both of those are on uh, my website, hopeforourtimes.com as will also be by tomorrow, the video that I showed you all tonight. I know a whole lot of people are wanting that on the comments. It's going to be there. You'll be able to get it. I'll take you to the link. Listen, until next time, if we're not caught up to meet the Lord in there this week, see you back here this week. God bless. Thanks for listening and being a part of this week's podcast. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, hopeforourtimes.com, and check out the many resources we have to offer. On our website, we have books, DVDs, and daily news articles that will always keep you up to date on the times we're living in. If you'd like to see the video version of this week's podcast, you can find us at Hope For Our Times on YouTube. God bless, and we'll talk to you next time.